Praise God. Do you know, if you read the Old Testament, they stand the whole morning standing up, listening to scripture reading. You know the secret of Christian growth is study the Bible, obey the Bible, and teach the Bible. Today, I want to continue our season two on the book of Romans. Remember, Romans has how many chapters? 16. Okay? So, everybody, 10 plus 6. How many chapters? 16. The first three chapters tells us what's wrong with us. Sinners. Until you know your problem, you will not appreciate the next three chapters. Three, four, five. Talks about, tell me, salvation. Sinners, salvation. And then chapter 6, 7, 8 talks about what? Sanctification. God does not just save us. He wants us to be practically and practicing holiness. And then chapter 9, 10, 11, he kind of detour. The detour is, is God really in control of everything? Is God sovereign? So, sinner, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty of God. And then chapter 12 to the end, what is it? Service. Now that you are a Christian, how should you serve the Lord? So far, so good? Today, season two, episode number three. Am I correct? So, quick review. What have we discussed in the past? In episode number two, we were discussing the best news. You can be sure of heaven. That's episode one. Under season two, the best assurance, God is promise keeper. Do you recall Pastor Mar Marty? He talks about God is promise keeper. Today, we're going to talk about what is the best blessing. Tell me, what is the best blessing you can ever have? If God were to ask you, pray and claim one blessing, what will that be? Can you whisper to your neighbor? Tell your neighbor. Just one. What will you ask God for? One blessing. You know, this is where Bible study is crucial. What kind of blessing should you ask for? Well, before I tell you, can I tell you something? Why do you think God wants you to know his blessing? Think about it. Why do you think God wants you to know his blessing? Think about it. Why should you know? So what if you don't know? God wants you to know his blessing because God wants you to know the resources available for you. God wants you to know that he wants you to live radically different from others. God wants you to know his blessing so that you can triumph over difficulties. God wants you to know his blessing so that you'll appreciate God daily. God wants you to know his blessing, you know why? So that you will be joyful and you will live an attractive life. So that when people who don't know Jesus looks at you, when they look at you, they will say, what do you have? But the problem is this, most Christians do not live an attractive Christian life. No joy. It's like every Sunday you come, I look at your faces. This is not a funeral parlor, okay? So when I look at your faces, what must you do? Joyful. But you cannot fake joyfulness. You know why? It has to come from within. And that's why you need to know this message, the blessings of God. I'm reminded of a true story years ago when inter-ocean traveling was developed, you know, this big ocean cruiser, this guy bought a ticket from London to New York. But because it was so new, he, he brought his own food. So day one, day two, day three, he was still eating his own bread, okay? Because he was trying to save enough food to reach New York. And then 
Somebody met him. Somebody said, why are you eating bread? I mean, these are old bread. He said, you know, I need to eat. He said, do you not know once you bought the ticket, all the food is included, all the buffet is included? You see what I'm saying? Some Christians are like that guy. You don't know the resources. You're living like a beggar. You don't have to be a beggar. In Christ, you are blessed. Can you turn your neighbor, tell your neighbor, in Christ, you are blessed. You are so blessed that you have no idea what kind of blessings God wants you to know. Today, I want to give you seven blessings you find in the book of Romans. These are not exhaustive, but the seven blessings of God, and you tell me which one you like the most. Okay, for example, what are the blessings? In Romans chapter 5, verse 1 to 11, he talks about peace with God. Blessings money cannot buy. Access to God. Wow. Hope of glory. You have an amazing future. Joy in tribulation. Can you imagine that you can be happy in the midst of tribulation? Why? You will find out. The love of God. The blessing that God wants you to know that you have. Saved from God's wrath. You will never appreciate saved from God's wrath until you know the problem. Reconcil reconciled with God. Now, what is the common denominator of all of these seven blessings? See, when I give a message, I'd like you to remember one thing. You may forget the seven blessings. That's okay. But I want you to remember one thing. What's the message today? You know what's the best blessing? The best blessing is Jesus Christ. Why? When you have Jesus Christ, you have everything. You have peace with God. You have access to God. You have a glorious hope. You have the love of God. Once you have Jesus, you have everything. Saved from God's wrath, you are reconciled. Common denominator, Jesus Christ. So to me, the greatest blessing in life is Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus Christ, you have everything. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you may have everything, but you end up with nothing. That's why the Apostle Paul is very clear. He said, for me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. For many people today, for to me, to live is money, privilege, power, prestige. Well, if that's what you live for, then to die is lost. But for you and me, for to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. That is the normal Christian life. You got to know your blessing. And you need to know what Jesus Christ has in store for you once you have Jesus. Notice I did not say about religion. I, didn't talk, I don't talk about religion. I talk about a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Are you ready for the seven blessings? Yes or no? Yes. All right. What's the best blessing? Jesus Christ. How will this impact your life? You'll be thankful. You'll be joyful. You will pursue Jesus Christ. Appreciate him. Thank him. Love him. All right. Let's begin. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, every time you see the word therefore, Ask yourself, why is it there? Therefore refers to the previous chapters. Justified by faith. The Bible tells us. Chapter 4 talks about the example of Abraham. How he was justified by faith. Therefore. Okay? So he's now summarizing. Therefore, having been justified by faith. This is a completed past tense. Meaning... You are justified at a point in time, and you continue being justified. God will not justify you today, and then tomorrow you are not justified. Grammatically, what does it mean, having been, having been justified by faith? Notice, it is by faith. What does that mean? Well, let me share with you the meaning of the word justification. Number one, justification is a divine declaration. It is God declaring something. 
and having the power. It's God's declaration. It's a divine declaration and a power to, number one, declare us not guilty. So, ladies and gentlemen, you are not guilty. Number two, not only are you not guilty, you are declared as righteous. This is supernatural. My goodness, not only am I not guilty, I am righteous. And then justification means what? The righteousness of Christ imparted as if you have not sinned. It's a judicial term. It's the word used in the court of law. But this time, it is declared by the supreme judge of the universe. Who is the supreme judge of the universe? God. So when God says you are not guilty, are you guilty? No. When God says you are justified, you are declared righteous, are you righteous? Now, your problem is this. It's hard to believe. And that's why you need to know biblical truth and faith. You've got to trust in God's promises. You have to trust not in your feeling, in what God has said. So, having been justified by faith, notice what it says, having been justified by faith, what do you have? You have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first blessing I will expand is peace with God. Now, when the Bible talks about peace with God, what does that mean? So let me ask you, what is peace? Where do you get peace? See the word peace. Everybody loves peace. I remember in college days, we look at each other, peace, man, peace, peace, peace. You like peace? The truth is this, people don't have peace. I'll talk about two kinds of peace. One is inner peace. Example, what is inner peace? Tranquility, harmony. Well, Jesus talks about that kind of peace, okay? Peace, I live with you, my peace. It is the peace that comes from Jesus I give to you. So God wants you to have peace. This is one kind of peace. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. From this verse, you will know the biblical meaning of peace. The opposite of this word peace used in John 14 what is the opposite? Do not let your heart be troubled. An anxious heart. Do you know many people today are anxious? What else? A fearful heart. This is proven now with COVID-19. Now, why do you fear COVID-19? Because you fear getting sick. Why do you fear getting sick? Because you fear dying. You see, the root of all fear is the fear of death. Why are you afraid of dying? Because you do not know the future. You, you are not sure. Will I go to heaven? Will I go to hell? Because if you are sure you'll go to heaven, should you be afraid of dying? Are you listening to me? Can you see how inconsistent we are? I'm not saying you commit suicide today, okay? No, no, no. I'm just talking about the fear of death is real. And that's why many people live in fear. No peace. But to God's people, you can have peace. Because it is from Jesus. Assurance of your future. You don't have to be afraid of getting sick. Because you are secure. Ah, that's one kind of peace. Now, the peace of Jesus is different from the peace of the world. It is not the absence of problem. Look at John 16. These things I've spoken to you so that in me, in Jesus, you may have peace. What kind of peace? In this world, you have tribulation. But take courage. I've overcome the world. So our peace is because of Jesus. Amen. Having said that, there's another kind of peace that is being discussed in Romans chapter 5. Do you know what is that peace in Romans chapter 5? It is peace with God. Peace with God. Notice, you have no idea. In your mind, everything's okay. But in Romans chapter 5, you look at verse 1 one more time. Before you look at verse 8, look at chapter 1. Having been justified by faith, we have, notice, peace with God. He's not talking about the peace of God. He's talking about another kind of peace. It is peace with God. 
What does that mean? That means once upon a time, God is your enemy. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Let's read that together. Romans 5 tells us, once upon a time, we were enemies of God. Can you read that? Verse 10. Everybody read. While we were enemies. Ah. Theologically, you have to know our problem. You need peace. Not just inner peace. You need peace with God. Without peace with God, you will never have peace with yourself. Without peace with God, you will never have peace with your friends. Vertical first. Get right with God, and then you will get right with other people. But if you are not right with God, you will not have peace. Even with your dogs. You'll be angry at your dog. You'll be angry at everybody. You know why? To have peace with God, you have first, and then you'll have peace with men. What's my proof? Well, look at this amazing verse, Isaiah 48, 22. The Bible tells us there is no peace for the wicked. You see, the word wicked does not mean murderer only. It does not mean rapist. The word wicked in the Bible is anybody who does not recognize God as his God. That includes all of us. You see, you underestimate the seriousness and the awfulness of sin. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is treason. Do not take sin lightly. That's why many people say, I have no problem with God. I'm not angry at God. Excuse me. God is angry at you. Why is he angry at you? Because God is holy and our sin has made a separation with God. Our sin is horrible. It is rebellion against God. Every sin that you commit is saying, God, I don't care about you. It is very serious. So what is the solution? Let me tell you the solution of the world. The solution of the world is superficial. Here is the solution. If you go for psychotherapy, you know what they tell you? Don't worry about sin. Sin is psychological. Don't think about God. No heaven, no hell. Since there is no God, who tells you what is right or wrong? So that guilt feeling, that guilt feeling that you have, it's all psychological. So take a vacation. Watch Netflix. Be with your friends. Get drunk. Take drugs. Whatever it is. You want peace? Superficial solution. Many people are so busy. They don't want to be silent. They don't want to be alone. You know why? Their guilt bothers them. Pretty soon, your conscience becomes numb. And once it, is, once it is numb, you think you are okay. You ask people, everything okay? Okay, okay. I was shocked when I discovered there are many people today who call themselves Christians, but they are committing adultery. They are committing immorality. But to them, it's okay. Why? Numb. My friend, the only way to have real peace is to admit you come to Jesus. I like this quotation by John Stott. John Stott said, everybody read with me, you will only be healed of guilt to the degree you are willing to admit the magnitude of your sin. David experienced this. You know, when David was hiding his sin before God, you know what happened to him? Everybody, read this. Psalm 32, when I kept silent about my sin, Notice when I kept silent, when I pretend I'm okay, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Notice God is against you. I hate to live in such a way that God is against me. So David is saying, I'm wasting away. I'm so miserable. Yet David was the king. He has everything. But he was miserable. Notice what happened. Ah, I acknowledge my sin to you. My iniquity I did not hide. That word iniquity is perversion. My foolishness, my perversion, I did not hide. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Wow, everybody read this. And you forgive the guilt of my sin. Praise God. Everybody, it doesn't matter what you have done in the past. I remember a CCFer years ago, he came to me for counseling. He said, Peter, I, 
I don't have peace. I feel so guilty. I said, what happened? He said, when I was in college, I joined fraternities. Are you familiar with this word, rumble? You know, during my days, okay? Our university, there's one frat versus another frat versus another school. And you know what they use? They bring knife. They bring uh, steel bar. Uh, what do you call that in Tagalog? Tubo. Made of metal. And then they rumble. They fight. And he said, Peter, I think I've killed people. I feel so guilty. Can I tell you something? His guilt was real. You see, guilty conscience is something real. It is not psychological. It is God's spirit working in his heart. And I said, you know, you cannot change your past. But you can come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm guilty. Will you forgive me? And that's what he did. Believe it or not, today this guy is a pastor. You know why? God can overcome your guilt. Praise God. Peace. What's the next blessing? The next blessing, I love this, it's called what? Access to God. Do you know what is access to God? Access to God is from this word, look at Romans chapter 5, okay? Through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith. This word introduction is an amazing Greek word. It is used to describe entering the presence of a king. You are ushered in to the presence of something superior. And the Bible is saying because of Jesus, we have now what? Access to the throne of grace. And that's why the Bible tells us, look at Hebrews, okay? The Bible tells us, what must you and I do? Everybody read, let us draw near with confidence. Wow, confidence to the throne of grace. Wow, before the king, the throne of grace. For what purpose? So that we may receive mercy and find grace. How often do you come to the throne of grace? I come to God daily. I tell God I need grace. I seek wisdom from God because I acknowledge my dependence. But I also use my privilege. You know what's my privilege? Access to the king of kings. Do you know somebody paid $19 million just to have a meeting with Warren Buffett? There was a charity drive, and he paid $19 million just to spend time with Warren Buffett. Why? Why is he willing to pay $19 million? I believe he wants to meet him, probably to have connection, probably to get his wisdom, because Warren Buffett is an expert in investment. He made his billions through investment. But can I tell you something? You have somebody greater than Warren Buffett. Who is that person? The king of kings. God himself. You want connection? I'll give you a connection. Look at Ephesians. It tells you the access to God. Everybody read. For through Jesus, we both have access. So my friend, you have access. Do you know your privilege? If you are discouraged, what must you do? Go to God. Throne of grace. If you are discouraged, if you don't know what to do, Pray. So my question to you, how is your quiet time? Do you come to God daily? Do you study His Word? Let Him speak to you. How do you expect to live a vibrant Christian life when you don't access God's presence? You see, God wants you to come to Him. You are the one that is too busy for God. You are the one that is saying, God, I'm sorry, I don't have time. Just imagine the king of kings is always waiting for you, 24-7. Next blessing. I love this. It's called the hope of glory. Wow. What is the hope of glory? The Bible tells us, what is this hope of glory, the blessing? Let's read. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace. Okay? So, you have access, standing in the grace of God, 
We, everybody read, we exalt. The word exalt has to do with confident joy. You are joyful. You are confident in hope of the glory of God. You know, Christians, the truth is this. In this world, there is so many discouraging things happening. Russia, Ukraine war, inflation, sickness. There's a lot of problems. But can I tell you something? You have the amazing hope of glory. When the Bible uses the word hope, the Greek word is elpis. What does it mean? It is a certainty. The hope in the Bible is never like wishful thinking. How many of you are single? Raise your hand. Singles? I love singles. Okay, singles? Higher, higher, higher. Now, singles. When you say, I hope to get married, is that a certainty or wishful thinking? Not sure. If you want to be a billionaire, I want to be a billionaire, but you are not yet even a millionaire, okay? Is that wishful thinking? Yes or no? If you buy lottery ticket and you want to win 500 million pesos, is that wishful thinking or is that a certainty? Cer that is not certainty. In the Bible, when the Bible uses the word hope, it is 100% sure. Except it is future. It's not now. Example, when the Bible says, I exalt in the hope of glory, what is he talking about? Look at Romans chapter 5. The hope of glory has to do with what? Your own destiny. For example, in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, you've you got to understand the big picture. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the, everybody read, the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's a future tense. The Bible is not in denial. You guys will have problem. I will have problem. But because of Jesus Christ, we have an amazing future. The hope of glory. Do you know you are destined for glory? Look at this verse. Sufferings of this present time. In other words, being a Christian does not exempt you from problems. You may go through problems. You may be suffering now. So what do you do? If you don't know the truth, you get discouraged. If you don't know the truth, you give up Christianity. Ah, ayakuna. My friend, understand theology. If you are in Christ, you have an amazing, glorious future. Do you know that? I will show you another verse. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 29, 30. Everybody, read this together. Whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Wow. Predestined to become like Christ. You will learn about that. And those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Notice, past perfect tense, for sure. And those whom he justified, he also what? Glorified. When God talks about the future, sometimes it is used in past tense. It's a certainty. You will surely be glorified. But not now. Why do I say that? Look at 1 John. Amazing verse. 1 John chapter 3. Everybody? Now we are children of God. It has not appeared as yet what we will be like. But you know one thing. You know. When he appears, everybody read? We will be like him. What does it mean to be like Jesus? The glorious body of Jesus. You will be like Jesus. Jesus can walk through walls. Jesus can teleport. Whatever it is, it is glorious. And this truth, the big picture, the future glory of God's people, because we will see him just as he is, notice the power of seeing the future. Everyone who has this hope, the certainty of seeing Jesus and being like Jesus has a sanctifying effect. Fixed on him, purifies himself as he is pure. You know what will help you overcome sin? It's this reminder. The pleasure of sin is temporal. I'm going to tell you something. 
Do not deceive yourself. Don't tell your children sin is not pleasurable. No, there are many foolish things that are pleasurable, but they are temporal. So don't exchange future glory for temporal happiness. It is not worth it. But you need to meditate on this truth. All temporal pleasure is fine, but it is not worth it if it violates the will of God. Sex. Is sex wonderful, yes or no? Louder. Of course. Why, why are you not saying sex is wonderful? Who invented sex? God. For pleasure. By the way, those of you who I'm inviting you to, me, to join the Kapos retreat in October, okay? It's upcoming. Better register now, okay? It's a limited space. Sex is beautiful at its proper time. So do not sacrifice your eternity for the sake of temporal pleasure. You will say, who will ever do that? So many people are doing that. Does it make sense? Are you willing to sacrifice temporal pleasure for eternity? Think about it. So we have a... Can you tell your neighbor you are destined for glory? Destined for glory. I'm reminded of a true story that happened in East Asia. It was under communism. And they were baptizing 10 new believers. These 10 new believers were in the ocean. It's very cold. And then the secret police came. And the secret police arrested these 10. But the secret police told them, we will let you go if you will denounce Jesus. Out of these 10, one denounced Jesus. One went forward, I give up Jesus. And then what was shocking was the officer of the secret police. You know what he did? He said, you want to de denounce Jesus? I will take your place. So he took his place. And the other soldiers asked him, what are you doing? And this is what he said. When they were being baptized, I saw 10 crowns. 10 crowns for each one of them. But this one doesn't want his crown. I will take his place. I will follow Jesus. My friend, if you can see the big picture, your life will change. You will never sacrifice the temporal for the sake of eternal. Next. Wow, what is another blessing? This is amazing. Joy in tribulation. See, once you have the big picture and you're in trouble, you are able to have joy. Now, look at me. This is so counterintuitive. Why? Look at the Bible. Let's look at the verses. Romans 5, 3, and 4. Not only this, but we also exalt. Again, same word. We exalt. We rejoice with confidence in our tribulation. Now, be honest. How many of you like tribulations? How many of you don't like tribulations? How many of you will never raise your hand, no matter what I do? <laughs> you see, this word tribulation is a unique word. It deals with pressure. It deals with persecution. And the Bible says you are to rejoice. Wow! One of the blessings of being in Christ, you are able to rejoice. Why? Knowing that tribulations brings about perseverance. That's a famous word that we taught you years ago. Hupo mone. Perseverance. You're able to endure with joy, with anticipation. See, the word perseverance, endurance, patience does not mean resignation. Uh, you know, some people are always depressed. Some Christians, I see them depressed. Uh, how is life? Okay. How are you doing? Okay. My friend, that kind of life will never attract unbelievers. You should say, by the grace of God, in spite of my problems, God is good. Amen? Why is God good? Because He's using problems to mold your character. Do you realize, as I look back in my life, it is never the good times that I'm transformed. It's always the bad times. Many of you know my story. 
years ago. I was kicked out of our own company. Impossible, but that is what happened. And in the moment of desperation, I was married already, I discovered something. My identity is not tied up to my work. My identity should not be tied up to my position. My identity should not be tied up with the people that I go around with. My identity is in Christ. And I realized what God did. He made me more sensitive to injustice. He made me become more sympathetic with people. You must understand, I was born with a silver platinum spoon. I never knew hardship. I never knew what it means to have financial problem. And I didn't even know I was proud. You know why? Because in my mind, I was not proud. I don't boast. But the truth is, I do look down on other people secretly. How did God change me? Never in good times. It was when I was down. And that's why all of you who are down now, you must exalt. I'm not telling you. It is God telling you. Everybody read this one more time. We also exalt in our tribulation. Why? By faith. You must know that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, and character hope. What is this tied up with? Well, this is tied up with the next blessing. You know, the next blessing is so amazing. It's called, wow, the love of God. And when you have trials, you begin to experience the presence of God in your life. Remember this saying, you will never know. God is sufficient until the only thing you have is God. Let me repeat. You will never know God is sufficient until what? Until the only thing you have is God. See, as long as you have substitutes, you have substitutes for God. Security, friends, help. Nothing wrong with them. But God wants you to develop intimacy with him. So love of God. Notice it is not love for God. Look at the blessing. It is the love of God. And because of the love of God, the next blessing is you are saved from God's wrath. Now let me explain to you. Love of God. Let's look at the Bible verse. Everybody read with me. Hope does not disappoint us because, everybody read, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The first time in the book of Romans, you have the love of God mentioned, and for the first time, you have the Holy Spirit mentioned. And all of these are in Christ. Because of Jesus, you now experience the love of God. Notice, not love for God. He is not talking about your love for God. No, no. He's talking about the love of God for you. Wow, you experience His love for you. In our hearts, through the Holy Spirit. But I like the word poured. You know, what's the meaning of the word? What is the meaning of the word poured? You know, my wife gave me this illustration to share with you so that you will know what is the meaning of poured, all right? The idea of the word poured, I, I, Poured, okay, poured. How many of you believe there's water here? Raise your hand. You don't believe me, huh? You come here. I will. Uh... Okay, notice the idea of poured. What is the idea of poured? Okay, poured, huh? No, the idea of poured is this. Okay, that is what means of poured, all right? The love of God is overflowing in your heart through the Holy Spirit. But you know what Christians do? This is what we do. You know how we give love? That's how we give love. You know why? Christians, the reason why you are not able to love because you have not personally experienced. Please, don't love like this, okay? Don't love like this, huh? Okay? Don't be stingy. How should you love one another? Pour, pour out your love. But you cannot give what you don't possess. So that's the idea. How did the Bible describe the love of God? Well, this is how he described this, the love of God. 
so that you will fully understand the love of God, right? Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and 8. While we were still helpless, notice the love of God. How are we called? Helpless? At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We are ungodly. You see, the love of God is unconditional. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. He's not making a comparison. People may die for good people. Maybe. He's saying maybe. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see the difference? We are called sinners. We are called ungodly. And yet Jesus died for you and for me. Did you know Jesus did not wait until you become good? Okay, I'll save you when you become good. No, no, no. He died for you while you were still a sinner. Honestly, this love of God is something you need to meditate on. People usually tell me, Peter, Pastor, I want deeper truth. I, I, I tell them, what can be deeper than the love of God for you and for me? You know, someday when I go to heaven, I still will not understand how God gave his life for me. How God sent Jesus to die in my place. Such is the love of God. God loves you. Do you know that? He wants you to know. He loves you. He poured his love, not your love for him. You don't love God. You are enemies. But God said, I love you. I died for you. Notice, I like what Tim Keller said. You know, what is the gospel? The gospel, you are more sinful than you ever dared to believe. You are more loved than you ever dared to hope. My friend, can you turn to your neighbor? Tell your neighbor, you are loved. You are very loved. And my friend, look at verse 9 and 10. How did this love impact our relationship with God? Much more than, okay? He died for the ungodly. Look at this love. Having now been justified by his blood. The love of God, the love of Jesus is sacrificial. He died for us. He shed his blood. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Notice the wrath of God is real. But the love of God found a solution. It is through the blood and death of Jesus. Amazing. Look at the next verse. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. It's all about Jesus. Having, much more, having been reconciled, notice the grammar, perfected past tense, you are now reconciled once after you come to Christ, we shall be saved by his life. It's now future tense. When you read the Bible, don't be confused. Salvation is a big picture. Salvation involves my past. Jesus Christ died for my sins. I'm justified. That's why I peace with God. Salvation involves your present life. While well, you go through tribulation, but you have access to God. So God is always with you, helping you. Salvation includes the future. You will be saved, not just from the presence of sin. You will be saved from the wrath that is to come. Now, the wrath of God is real. It is not taught today. Many churches will never talk about the wrath of God. Why? As I shared with you weeks ago, we, you think it is not right for God to be angry. No, no. The wrath of God is proper because the wrath of God is what? The righteousness of God, the holiness of God is steered into action against sin. Without the wrath of God, God will not be good. How can a good God allow sin and judge? How can a good president or a good minister allow sin to go unpunished? So the wrath of God is a necessity. 
for the holiness of God. But your problem, my problem, we don't know that the wrath of God awaits us. Why do I say that? You see, the love of God is protecting us from the wrath of God. Let me share with you. Do you know the last prayer recorded in the Bible for unbelievers? The last prayer. Do you know what is the last prayer for people who don't surrender their lives to Jesus? Here is the last prayer. Let's look at Revelation. Look at Revelation chapter 6. They prayed. They said to the mountains and to the rocks. Everybody read. Fall on us. Hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Wow. The wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who is able to stand? You see, someday the unbelievers will get the shock of his life. They'll get the shock of their lives. Because someday the un unbelievers will realize everything in the Bible is true. There will be a day of judgment. You see, it doesn't matter whether you believe or you don't believe. Look, listen to me. It doesn't matter. Truth is not subject to your opinion. It is not subject to majority decision. Truth is truth, whether you like it or not. And I'm telling you what the Bible is saying. I choose to believe the Bible. I do not choose to believe the opinion of people. Now, it's your choice today to listen to the Bible or not. I will not force you. But if you choose to believe the Bible, then you take action. Look at the wrath of God. Notice the grammar. For the great day of, notice there. Who is this there, wrath? Who is this there, wrath? Him who sits on the throne, God the Father, and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now, let me give you an example of the wrath of God. All right? Let's look at Revelation chapter 20. Justice will come one day. Listen to me. Justice will come. The wrath of God will be seen. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. Lake of fire and brimstone. Where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented. Everybody read? Day and night, forever and ever. Now you'll say, well, that's for the devil and the false prophet. Ah, read the next verse. I want to show you another verse. Revelation 20, verse 11. Everybody read together. I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. You cannot hide from God someday. You may try to hide, but you cannot hide. And I saw the dead, even the dead <coughs> will be resurrected to be judged. Everybody read louder. <coughs> Together. standing before the throne. What happened? Books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. So there are two books. Continue. <coughs> ah, there's a book. It is based on your life. And the Bible tells us, <coughs> oh, continue reading the next verse, please. The dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Listen to me now. God is going to be very fair. He will judge everyone according to their deeds. That, my friend, is justice. Everybody will be given a chance to explain his life. And the Bible says we are all guilty. You are saved, not by justice. You are saved by grace. The justice was because of Jesus. He died for you. Continue reading. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into? So, my friend, I don't know about you. Either this is true or this is not true. I have seen people here who are first-timers. And when they hear this, you have one option or two options, or three options. First option, you don't hear. 
you just say, that's his opinion. Excuse me, that's not my opinion. I'm sharing you from the Bible. Second option, okay. May be true, may not be true. I'll think about it. Excuse me, may be true, may not be true. And you think about it. What if it is true? Or number three, you humble yourselves. Lord, I'm in deep trouble. I'm a sinner. I know if you judge me according to my deeds, if you judge me, I'm guilty. So Lord, I want my name to be written in the book of life. Is your name written in the book of life? Yes or no? How is your name written in the book of life? Ah, when you surrender to the Lord. That's why I like this verse, if you don't mind. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. The Bible tells us, And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. If you have Jesus, He saves you. You know, Let's summarize all the blessings. Okay, what are the blessings in Jesus? Because of Christ, you have peace with God, you have access to God, you have the hope of glory, amazing future, you have joy in the midst of tribulation. The love of God is so real in your life. It's poured out. You are able to love others. Saved from God's wrath. And lastly, you are reconciled with God. You know, that word reconciliation is a theological word. It means once upon a time, we were enemies. And now God is saying, let's be friends. Let me ask you a question. Who took the initiative to be reconciled to us? Who took the initiative? God. Do you know this word reconciliation is used in warfare? If a strong country is about to attack a smaller country, and that smaller country is pretty smart, they know they have no chance, what do they do? They will accept the terms of surrender. And once you accept the terms of surrender, okay, peace. Do you know the same with God? God is offering you friendship, reconciliation, but not based on your term. It has to be based on God's term. And His term is very simple. Recognize me as your king. Recognize me as your Lord. Admit that I am your Lord. I'm your Savior. You need to surrender. You cannot come to God with a rebellious heart. And I praise God. Our sister today will share her testimony, how she surrendered her life to Jesus. Let's welcome our sister, okay? Jika, please come. At the age of four, I was already exposed to violence as I witnessed my dad forcing drugs on my mom as he locked us up in our old home. It's still so vivid as if only yesterday, and I can still picture mom with a black eye, unable to move, scared for her life and mine, as she sat there, suffering in silence. Eventually, my ex-military of a grandfather had to intervene and pull me and mom out of the rut and take us in. My then single mom and grandparents did the best they could to raise me well and gave me everything I needed. But deep within me, I still longed for a father. It was so confusing because while I wanted so badly to be angry with my dad, I also couldn't deny how desperately I wanted him back in our lives. So you can just imagine how it was for me when my parents found their way back together. As a teenager, I struggled with rejection and so a lot of times I gave in to peer pressure. I was very insecure and always felt like I would never be good enough no matter how hard I tried. I did my best to excel, thinking it was the only way to be valued and loved. Before high school, mom decided to sign me up for summer camp. I wasn't sure why Bible was listed under things to bring, but I went ahead and packed one anyway. I knew about Jesus. I would ace exams in my religion subject back in Catholic school. But I never really knew him. It was during this camp that I discovered there was more to Jesus than how he is portrayed, especially during Holy Week. I wanted to know more, and so I began my spiritual journey. During this time, my family and I also consistently attended Sunday services together, and I would also attend youth services while my parents were actively involved in family ministry. Everything seemed perfect until college came and I found out about my father's mistresses. One of them was my age at the time. 
I was 20. Anger, hate, bitterness, disgust filled my heart, and I was hostile towards my dad. He felt so disrespected by me that he said I wasn't his real child anyway. And back then, I wished it were true. Mom ended up remarrying in the U.S. and took my siblings with her while I went my own way and turned away from God. After graduation, I worked in a call center where I had a serious relationship with a female coworker that lasted four years. I honestly thought we'd get married and live happily ever after, but I eventually cheated on her with an unmarried father. Living in sin became my specialty and I thought I was in control and happy, but the truth is I had never felt more alone. After the guy and I broke up, I also had no job, nowhere to go, and felt I had nothing to live for. Where do you go? Who do you turn to when you feel like you've lost everything? Just when I was about ready to give up on life, I remembered my Heavenly Father. I cried like a little child as I remembered how He has always been there for me even after I turned my back on Him. I started attending CCF Sunday services, and in one of those, I had the chance to come forward for prayer. The person who prayed for me suggested that I join a D group. I didn't understand what that meant then, but I reached out to one of my friends who I knew was part of one, and they gladly welcomed me. In an in-house True Light retreat in 2015, I relearned about the Father's love and how Jesus died for me as a result of His love. After finally admitting that I couldn't do it on my own, I surrendered and recommitted my life to Christ, and Jesus completely turned my life around. Not without any challenges or fear or pain, but always with joy and perfect peace, as Jesus makes all the difference. Since making the best decision ever to live my life only for Jesus, I have seen God's hand in my life more profoundly, and others have witnessed it too. God has allowed me to reconcile with my earthly father and more. I wish I had time to tell you all the stories of God's faithfulness, but the most recent development is him calling me to work full-time for big singles ministry. I may have lost a lot in this life, but all is found in Jesus. To Jesus, I owe everything, and all to Jesus, I will give. My name is Giancarla, or Jika Lumabao, privileged to be called a child of God, no longer needing or wanting anything, but fully satisfied in Jesus, who alone can truly satisfy. Praise God, praise God. What do you notice about her testimony? She turned away from God. But God kept on pursuing her. How did God pursue her when she felt so miserable? You see, God sometimes allows problems. Because in the midst of problems, you can listen more to God's voice. Now, some of you may have a hardened heart. But can I tell you something? Romans chapter 5 is the assurance and the security of believers. People ask me, can I lose my salvation? Can I be justified now and then unjustified? If you are really saved, you are saved forever. Let me repeat. If you are really saved by Jesus, He's the one holding you. How can you run away? You may try to run away. He's going to pull you back. I have a friend who was so hardened. And I was doubting his salvation. But before he died, he told his wife, pray for me. He was able to repent. I'm not saying you must always wait until the day you're about to die. You know why? You don't know when you will die. But what if you have a heart attack now? Am I correct? But do you have the peace of God in your heart? Do you have access to God? And above all, look at her testimony. She admitted and you surrendered. When you surrendered to God, you were reconciled. Are you happier now? Okay. Do you think she looks happy? I think so. By the way, she told me not to announce this, but I will. <coughs> She's still single, okay? 
So let's all raise your hand. Let's all raise your hand and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Chica. We thank you how you have transformed her life, even though she was turning away from you. How patient you are with each one of us. And Lord, thank you for her testimony. And I now pray you continue to restore her, her family, and above all, use her to bring many others to your kingdom and glory. We thank you, and we thank you for her discipler who cannot join us today because they are out of town. But bless them and continue to use her mightily in the years to come. We give you all the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. <clears throat> praise God. So my friend, what's the next step? Well, once you are reconciled, I'd like you to notice one thing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, this is your assignment. To those of you who are sure already, let's read this together. Now, all these things are from God. Notice, God is the one initiating who reconciled us. God is the one reconciling us to himself through Christ. So theologically speaking, reconciliation is an act of God through Jesus to restore us. And gave us, notice, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We, you and I, are to bring people and help them reconcile to God. Not just with each other, but to God. Notice, namely, everybody read, God was in Christ. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He has committed to us. He has committed to you the word of reconciliation. So what is the next verse as we close? That's what it says. Therefore, everybody, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, you are God's messenger and God speaks through you. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And in behalf of the King of Kings, I'm offering you his message. Be reconciled to God. If there is something in your life right now that you know is not right, be reconciled. Because God is offering you that opportunity. Is there anything in your life that you know is not pleasing to God? You are compromising. God is saying, surrender that. God wants to use you to bless others. Be a messenger. Reconciliation starts with God. The agent is Jesus. The messenger is you. What a privilege. Just this week, my wife and I, we were in an Asian country. Mostly Muslim. In that opportunity that God gave us, I was able to witness also to different kinds of people. To atheists, to Muslim, and to all kinds. You know why? To me, it's a privilege. That's why I love, as we close, Romans chapter 1. You know, I pray as you listen to the blessing of God, you will have this motivation, God's blessing. Therefore, I'm under obligation because of God's blessing, obligation to share the gospel. I'm eager to preach the gospel. And lastly, you must say, I am not ashamed. Are you eager? Are you under obligation to share? Yes. And lastly, are you ashamed or not? Is God good? Yes or no? Praise God. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads. As you think of God's blessing, number one, I'd like you to thank him. Right now, thank Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, we have all of these blessings. Can you pray privately right now? You thank him from your heart. I'll give you some time. You thank him. Number two, after thanking him, to those of you who are not yet reconciled, you are not sure you'll go to heaven, but you like to surrender your life. You like to be reconciled. I want to pray for you. Will you raise your hands? Praise God. Anybody else? Today, you want to be reconciled to God. Okay, raise your hands and pray this prayer with me between you and the Lord. Okay, as you raise your hands, you pray. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I need to be reconciled. I surrender my life to you. 
I accept your terms of reconciliation. I surrender the rule of my life. I surrender being the controller of my life. I surrender them all to you. Be my boss. Be my manager. Be the king of my life. I accept your gift of forgiveness. I accept the gift of reconciliation. And lastly, to those of you who know and you've been reconciled, I'm challenging you now to take a step to share with somebody this week the gospel. If you are willing to pray and share with somebody this week, I want to pray for you. Stand up. I pray for you. Make a commitment. I will share with somebody this week. If you are willing to make that commitment, you ask God to help you share with somebody this week, I want you to stand up. And I'll pray for you, and you'll be surprised if you ask God to give you opportunity to share. He will give you the opportunity to share, but you got to pray and ask him. How many of you are willing to commit to share the gospel, to share the message of reconciliation? This week, I'm not talking about this year, this week, between now and next Sunday, you ask God to open the door for you. You stand up and you share the gospel. Anybody else? I want to pray for you. Remember, sharing the gospel is a privilege. Not everybody can share the gospel because they have not experienced the love of God, but you have. But you need courage. You need opportunities. I will pray for you. No, I praise God that the blessings is all in Jesus. Father God in heaven, I pray for these men and women who stood up. Open the doors. Open their eyes. Open our eyes to see the opportunities of sharing the gospel. Sharing the message of reconciliation. Help us not to keep this blessing for ourselves. Help us to want to overflow to share this blessing with others. And I thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity. Help me to see who are the people you want me to share the gospel with this week. It can be our relatives. It can be family friends. It can be a driver. It can be anybody. But Lord, open our eyes. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen to amen. God bless you.